Hello, and welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some listeners might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. Now, on to the show. I'm your host, Erin, Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. So today I'm going to read a middle grade fantasy novel called Gussie by Jimmy Koholius. And I'm going to read the front flap so you have an idea of what this book is about. Being a village protector is a big job, but Grandpa Widow makes it look easy. As he performs the daily rites that keep the village safe from the great doom, Gussie and her dog Cricket follow along, learning the ropes so that Gussie can become a protector herself one day. Then Grandpa Widow is suddenly called away, and Gussie has to step up before she feels ready. On her very first night in charge, a mysterious newcomer arrives in search of shelter, forcing Gussie to break the number one rule of being a protector. When the sun goes down, keep the gates shut. But not everything in Gussie's village is what it appears to be. And as the great doom makes its presence known, and all the villagers turn to Gussie for help, Gussie will have to turn to some surprising allies to save the only home she's ever known. So the front of this book shows a girl with her back towards the viewer and it's set in a desert landscape. There's some cacti and a dog and the girl's playing what appears to be a violin. And it looks like there is a thunderstorm brewing. Also, I'm not gonna lie, I picked up this book because the title has part of my son's name in it. So I'm a little bit partial. But also, it sounds like a really great story. So let's read the first chapter. My favorite time is when me and Cricket finish Last Lights, the final ride of the day when the work is all done and the protections are up. The wolf and the star are drawn in the dust. The cardinal feathers dangle in threes like little flames at the four corners of the town. And the chicken foot is buried in the desert dirt just outside the gates. It's a between time, that gloaming hour after sunset when the daylight is still hanging on, pushing back against the night. It's the first moment that I truly get to rest, and it's the most perfect time of all, me and Cricket sitting there satisfied on the front porch while Grandpa Widow smokes a pipe and tells us stories. It's the safest I ever feel. At night, when the great doom is on the roam, the wind can howl and roar, the stars can blacken themselves, and the moon can run off and hide, but I know our village will be safe because the rites were performed perfectly. I saw to it myself, me and Grandpa Widow and Cricket too. Cricket's my dog, by the way, has been for years. He wandered up all scruffy and half starved out of the desert one day and Grandpa Widow let me keep him. I don't know why I named him Cricket. It's just what he wanted to be called. I knew the moment I saw him. You can tell by the way he sticks his tongue out every time I say his name. He's a happy fellow, usually. Likes to bark and fetch and sniff everything. But he takes the rites serious, same as I do, because the whole village depends on us. Just the thought of the great doom out there at night, beyond the walls, past the gates, hovering over that whole stretch of dirt and rock, all windblown and wild, I can't help it. It gives me the shivers. 
The great doom is always trying to creep in on the winds, and it'll sneak inside any way it can, through the smallest error in the rights, the slightest rule broken. So once the gates are shut, they stay that way. And if you think I'm being some kind of scared little kid about the whole thing, well, you've got a lot to learn. Trust me. When nighttime comes, you don't want to be out there past those gates. But this day, just after last lights, it all went a little different. This was how the troubles started. The very things that would change me and Cricket and Grandpa Widow and our whole village altogether. Yep, just as the final daylight glimmers were nearly dead and it was time for Big Gordo to draw the gates shut, I spied a speck on the horizon, small and tiny as a desert bat coming up over the hill, flitting through the glimmer. A rider. Solo, it looked like, some poor bedraggled messenger fleeing the dark. You see that? I said. Grandpa Widow just grunted. You could tell he liked it about as much as I did. A rider coming at twilight never brings good news. Truth was, I don't know how we missed him, as normally you can see for miles and miles everywhere, and it's plumb impossible to sneak up on a body. That's a trick of the desert, a mystery of the light around here. I tell you one thing, said Grandpa Widow, that rider best hurry because we shut these gates when the light goes, no matter what. Our village sits in a valley of desert, the Darkling Valley. Bare, dusty hills surrounding us for miles away on either side. It's a hidden little spot, an oasis in the long, endless stretch of nothing. I say nothing, but I mean there aren't any people in it. There's all kinds of other critters out there in the desert. Snakes and spiders and lizards and wildcats and nightbirds and vultures and hawks and eagles and just about everything else you can imagine. They're smart enough to eke a living out of dust, which is more than I can say for humankind, let me tell you. If we were half of what critters are, we wouldn't have a care in the world. Travelers through the desert aren't uncommon. We have a dozen different folks dropping in and out day to day. Messengers and peddlers and outlaws and hunters and just about any other type of person you could think of passing through on their way to elsewhere. But most folks don't cut it so close to nightfall when the great doom is on the roam. Still, sometimes I wake at night and I see lights crossing the valley. Wagon trains led by torches. I hear little snippets of singing, folks hollering hymns and prayers, protections against the great doom. I see them and I say a prayer myself, the winds roaring and howling out there, and I'm grateful to be safe here in the village, protected. You wouldn't close the gates on the rider, would you? I said, because the nearest town is a three-day journey from here at best. You wouldn't leave him out there all night? Grandpa Widow spat in the dust. I'd do what was best for the village, he said. You know good and well that is our first priority. Grandpa Widow is twig frail and about 100 years old, but he's still the toughest person I've ever seen in my life. I bet he could whoop half the village with a hand behind his back. Not that he would, mind you. Grandpa Widow isn't much for violence. Listen here, Gussie. That's what Grandpa Widow calls me, Gussie, or just plain Gus, even though my whole name is... Gustavina Mithridates Pearl, which is a mouthful and a half. He'll say, violence is always a mistake, even when it's necessary. I don't much know what that means, because in what world would mistakes sometimes be necessary? But that's the way Grandpa Widow is. He likes to say something and let you chew on it a while. 
says the act of figuring out what something means is more important than the meaning itself. Drives me crazy sometimes, I'll be honest with you. But it's hard to hold anything against Grandpa Widow. He's the one who raised me up, who taught me how to keep us safe. He's the one in charge of keeping the great doom from creeping in and infecting everything by performing the rites. Years and years of protectors have come and gone to pass down these rituals to Grandpa Widow. He brought them here to the village more than 50 years ago. Because when the great doom gets in from a hole in the gates or an ill-tied cardinal feather or some desert dog digs up the chicken foot, if anything at all goes wrong, then it sets about infecting things. And if a house gets sick, that's trouble, because that's the sort of sickness that spreads faster than a fire. Grandpa Widow can cure a house. He can cure anything, so far as I'm concerned. But it takes a lot of work, and that's hard on a fellow as ancient as Grandpa Widow. That's why he is training me in cricket. We are supposed to take over when he gets too old. It made me nervous watching that rider still so far out from the gates. I wish he'd hustle up. Things take so long to arrive anywhere in the desert, even when you can see them coming with your own eyes. I didn't want him getting shot out, the great doom having its way with him. Big Gordo was getting antsy too, you could tell. His name is no joke. He's near seven feet tall and bald-headed as the moon. His voice rumbles like faraway thunder, and he's the only person in town strong enough to swing the gates all on his own. His biceps are twice the size of my whole skull. But Big Gordo's no brute, not when you get to know him. He spends most of the day reading, for one. I'm always sliding him books from Grandpa Widow's library on the sly, so he can have something to do instead of stare out at nothing, hoping for some kind of fancy mirage all day. He has the gentlest blue eyes, the shimmer of hailstones, and he can whistle like a blackbird. He's also a poet, but that's another thing I'm not supposed to tell anybody. He writes poems about exotic flowers, mostly, and about snowstorms and great big slabs of ice he calls glaciers. He says they move slow over the earth like ancient beasts, scraping the ground dry. But why don't you ever write about stuff you see every day? I asked him once. Like, why don't you scribble an ode to scrub grass or turkey vultures or a cow skull with flour in it or something like that? He shrugged at me. I write to travel, little buddy. I thought that was a pretty good answer. The rider was coming closer and closer, that horse galloping with all its might. I wish we were in the rectory eating Grandpa Widow's unnameable stew. I'd play Grandpa Widow all the fiddle songs he wanted. He likes the ballads, the ones about ships sinking and all the young men drowning, and the maidens building boats out of their bodies to sail home, crying all the way. Me? I like the adventure songs. The ones about sea monsters, anything having to do with the ocean, which I'd never seen before, seeing as how we're all surrounded by the desert every day, every which way. It's a sea of sand and rocks and weird little scrub plants, that's for sure. And sand is plenty interesting. I mean, there are critters hidden in every nook and cranny, camouflaged spiders scurrying, sand-colored across the dunes, snakes sliding in deadly curlicues across the beige. Even toads, believe it or not, who only wake up when it rains out. I love it when it rains in the desert. Not a big storm, mind you, which can be awful dangerous for us, but just a fierce gush of water come and gone so quick you hardly notice it. The kind that leaves the sand awash with purple blossoms, 
flowers hidden deep beneath the dust, waiting for their chance to bloom. Me and Cricket were like that, I thought. One day we'd get our chance and we'd show everybody what we could do. I hummed a worried, quiet song to help the rider hurry. That sun sinking and sinking, that galloping horse drawing ever closer. I clenched my fists and prayed to the one who listens that it would hasten the rider up. Big Gordo bit his lip and Cricket whimpered. But Grandpa Widow was stalwart and still as one of those big desert rocks that sprout up like stone churches out of nowhere, showing not a bit of feeling on that face of his. The rider made it through the gates just as the light snuffed itself out and our world fell into darkness. Big Gordo pulled the gates shut, locking them good and tight, and me and Grandpa Widow chanted our little blessing over them. The quiet one we did come every nightfall as the moon rises and the stars unleash themselves. Cricket let loose a long, lonesome howl, and that's how I knew we were safe for the night. The winds could holler all they wanted, but they couldn't blow the great doom into our town. Not no way, not no how. It felt good knowing the village slept safe for what we had done. The rider was a woman with long brown hair and a dust-covered face. Other than that, I couldn't tell a thing about her. She lay panting across her horse, face down and drenched in sweat like she just popped out of a river somewhere. The horse was panting too, both of them worn flat out, riding all day just to escape the dark. Grandpa Widow helped her from her horse, and I ran and fetched a cup of water. Big Gordo led the rider's horse away to the stables for some grub and some rest. Lord knows that poor horse was twice as tired as the rider ever will be. Grandpa Widow leaned there against his cane, waiting while the rider guzzled about ten straight cups of water. I almost told her to slow down, that if she drank any more, her bladder would burst and she'd keel right over, but I figured a person who rode a horse through all that desert ought to know her own business well enough. She drank until she was finished, and finally she raised her eyes up to us. Which one of you is Grandpa Widow, she said. Grandpa Widow gave me a look, and it was all I could do not to bust out laughing. That'd be me, he said. Should have figured, she said. Only the whole widow part threw me. I mean, who ever heard of a widow man? When you've lived as long as I have, said Grandpa Widow, you learn to hear about near everything. It was true. I didn't know the mystery of Grandpa Widow's name. He said somebody gave it to him a long time ago, and that I shouldn't dig too deep into the past unless I wanted it to rise up and bite me on the butt. He was always saying things like that when I wanted to know what happened before I came around. Heck, I don't even know where I came from. I wasn't born in the village, that's all I know. Sometimes in my dreams, I heard this loud crashing sound, and I could smell salt in the air. Dreaming of the ocean, Grandpa Widow always said his eyes all bright with knowing. But how can I know about the ocean if I've never been there, I'd say. Knowing is in the blood, he'd say. Your body's born knowing all kinds of stuff. Your brain, too. If we had to learn every last thing we knew, we wouldn't make it past our first day on Earth. I guessed he was right, but I wished he'd just spill it all already about how I came here, or if I came here at all. Sometimes I pretend that Grandpa Widow spat in the dust and formed me out of the mud himself. To be honest, that wouldn't bother me none because then I'd just be a walking, talking miracle, wouldn't I? 
a piece of magic let loose on this earth to baffle and confound. I was a natural-born protector, and this village was my home. I was proud to guard it with my life. Sorry, I got distracted a little bit in the telling there. It happens sometimes. I'll just drift off in my own mind like a tumbleweed down a dried-out dead ditch if I'm not careful. This is for you, said the writer, handing a rolled-up piece of parchment to Grandpa Widow. Did you read it first, said Grandpa Widow. No, I didn't read it, said the writer. You think I don't have more sense than that? You ask me? This letter's all sealed up with magic, and if I'd opened it, my tongue might have gone furry in my mouth. The letter itself might have burst into flames right in my hands, and the great doom would have gobbled me up forever. Grandpa Widow gave her the slightest grin. You'd be right about that. Shoot, it was hard enough getting here by sunset. Had to ride two weeks worth of days and nights just to make it. I can camp out fine under the starlight with my horse Darla and have me a time. Maybe the best times in my life, to be honest with you. Just me and Darla in the starlight. Might bust out my kazoo and play a ditty or two just to ward off the snakes. But I wouldn't be caught dead in this valley at night, no sir. It's about the least safe place in the entire desert lands. Wise woman, said Grandpa Widow. Well, I wouldn't go that far, she said. Got a name, said Grandpa Widow. The rider will do just fine, thank you, she said. Folks get to know your name, and then they got a hold on you. I don't want anybody ever getting a hold on me. Grandpa Widow grinned. Wise woman, indeed. You got an inn around here, said the rider. Somewhere a body might get some grub and entertainment. Maybe a card game or three. Down the block is old Esmeralda's, I said. The food is pretty good, and you can get jasmine tea, which is more or less the best thing you ever tasted in your life. It would be my favorite place on earth if only I was allowed to go there more, which I'm not, of course, being a protector and all. Just wouldn't be proper. The writer looked at me like I'd lost my wits. Old Esmeralda's, you say? Best inn in town, said Grandpa Widow. It's the only inn in town, I said, and his eyes just sparkled at me. It's an old joke and an obvious one, but it always makes Grandpa Widow laugh. That'll do for me then, said the writer, rising to her feet. Might just stay a few days, take the troubles off my mind. Give myself a little vacation here. A body can't risk her life riding through the desert with that great doom fast on her tail and just take off again come morning. A body takes a risk like that. She's earned herself a warm bath at least. And if my boss at the messenger's office can't take that, well, he can just plumb find a new writer for all I care. After she was all watered up, the writer sauntered off toward the town square where old Esmeralda's was. I wanted to follow her, maybe sneak in the window of the inn's kitchen and poke around a while, but Grandpa Widow didn't like it when I went there. He said it was a corruptible place for, young, for a young person like myself, but of course that just made me want to go all the more. We are people of discipline, he always said, people of order and rules, people who follow the rights. And Grandpa Widow was correct about that. It was a lot of responsibility what we did at the gates. The whole village depended on us. It was no use for me to go exploring the nighttime if all it did was put everybody else in danger. When we were back inside our rectory, Grandpa Widow sat by the fire just holding that parchment. He hadn't unsealed it or unscrolled it or anything yet. 
He stared deep into the fire and didn't speak a word. I wanted to take up my fiddle, maybe play a dirge or something slow and sad like that, but I could tell Grandpa Widow wouldn't like it. Cricket did his three circle spins and wound himself down into a curl at my feet, all cozy-like. I picked up a book about how to heal a poison house, and I read over the steps, and then I read over them again. There was nothing worse than a poison house, especially in an isolated little hamlet like ours. Well, except for an infected person, but that hasn't happened in ages and ages, not since Grandpa Widow first got here. They still tell stories about that incident sometimes to scare kids. No, there'd be nothing worse than that. You got to drive all that great doom away, seep the poison out into the night, same as you would suck a snake bite. It was all very tricky and very technical, and my mind kept wandering and wandering, wondering when Grandpa Widow was going to read his letter. Not until long after you're asleep. I'm telling you that right now, said Grandpa Widow. How'd you know that's what I was thinking, I said. Because it's been about 15 minutes since you turned an actual page of that book. And he was right. That was the thing about Grandpa Widow. He knew just about everything there was to know about people, about magic, about the rights that protect us. He was the wisest man in all the earth. At least I thought so anyway. Slept with both eyes open too. I used to test him sometimes when I thought he might be napping. His eyes followed you clear across the room, even as the snores were pouring out of his nose. If you thought about it too much, it would scare the dickens out of you. I hoped one day I would grow up to be half the protector he was, strange as he may be. Come on now, said Grandpa Widow. Get yourself in bed. The night's turning late and we got work to do tomorrow. I'm going to read just a little bit longer, I said. Suit yourself. But the fire was warm and Cricket was snoring these little dog snores at my feet, probably dreaming of endless prairie dogs to chase. And pretty soon I was all tuckered out and sleeping in my chair. And that is the end of the chapter. I hope you found that interesting enough to check it out. If not, there's always another book just waiting to be discovered. Please check the show notes for books with similar themes. I'll be sure to post those and join me next time for another Next Reads. Thanks.